Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Good to be back with you today. If you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do, be turning to the Gospel of Matthew, the 17th chapter. The Gospel of Matthew, the 17th chapter. Now, while you're turning there, I'll be visiting with you a little bit, kind of setting this sermon up. Years ago, lots of years ago, when I was in my former job, I had the privilege of showing registered cattle. And I got the first time that I ever showed professionally, if that's what you want to call it, was in Fort Worth, Texas. We went to the Fort Worth Stock Show and Rodeo. The first time that I showed was in Will Rogers Coliseum. And I want to tell you something, from a country boy being from Salt Gap, Texas, I was somewhat overwhelmed. Because we got to stay, I was privileged to get to stay at the Worthington Inn in downtown Fort Worth. Pretty nice hotel. First and only hotel I've ever been lost in in my life. But the thing about this hotel was they had valet parking. You know, you just drove up there, they took your keys, and away went your pickup. Well, the thing about this hotel being that it was downtown, they had limited parking. And if you got back to the hotel in time, well, you got to park or they parked for you in their parking lot. You know, it was, I guess you would call it gated. But if you did not get back in time, well then you had to park on the street. Well, I was fortunate enough every, every night that I got back in time to park in the gated area except my last night there. And I got in late. It had been a very busy day at the fairgrounds. It was one of those snapping and popping days. And y'all know me when I get to talking, I can't stop. I'm like the Energizer Bunny. I got to just keep going. But anyway, it was just a busy day, and I got back late. Well, sure enough, it was already full. So I had to leave the pickup on the curb. And when I got out of the pickup, I noticed there was a sign that said, no parking between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. Now, that wasn't a problem for me because I have always been one uh, to be an early riser. I've always heard it said, early to bed, early to rise, makes a man wealthy, healthy, and wise. So I've never had a problem with that. I knew I would be up way before that because my last day there was the day that I showed, so I had to be out at the fairgrounds to get everything ready and poofed up and powdered up and lipstick and rouge on so we could show them. But anyway, well, if they was a girl. Now, anyway, but, but getting back to this sign, you know, if that sign hadn't been there, people could park there all day. And that would create a problem because downtown Fort Worth is pretty busy. And there's not a lot of room there between the Worthington Inn and right across there and all these high-rise buildings. It's, you know, so it would create an issue. But, but I knew that I could be out of there in time. But if that sign hadn't have been there, that would have been a problem because people would have been parking there, which would have created other issues. 
And, you know, you, you, you knew that at a particular time you could park there. But you knew between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. you can't park here. Now, I got to thinking about that. And, and I got to thinking that's the way we kind of, it's true in our daily lives. You know, if we're not careful, we have the tendency to want to stay or park in the wrong place. You know, and if you park it downtown there and, and, and it was in that 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. time, your vehicle would be towed away. So, you, because you can't park here. So, you know, we have a tendency in our lives to park in the wrong place. Some have been parked so long, your spirituality has been towed away. I have a real simple message for us today. And so, I want you to look with me in the 17th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. And we're going to begin reading in verse 1. Y'all there? Amen? Amen. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into the high mountain apart, or by themselves, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment, or his clothes, were white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses, and Elisha talking with him. Then Jesus, or then answered Peter, and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elisha. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid, or greatly afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus, or except Jesus only. Let me visit with you today about you can't part here. Now in our text, we find the disciples of Jesus trying to camp out, trying to uh, park, if you will. Jesus had less than a week before uh, pointedly revealing to his disciples who he was, that he was the Christ. And, and he immediately started telling them what that meant, that, that he would go to Jerusalem, that he would suffer, that he would have to die. And with these words hanging in the air for the past six days, the very next thing the gospel writers tell us or detail is the transfiguration of Jesus. We just read about it. But in those six days, we can only wonder what was going through the disciples' minds. 
was the truth about Jesus starting to sink in. That he was a suffering Messiah. That he was not this triumphant conqueror that everybody was looking for. Were they perhaps beginning or becoming doubtful about him? And what was all of this crazy talk about death and resurrection anyway? So, and, and what did he mean when he said they will see him coming into his kingdom? You know, every time I read this story, and this should be a very familiar story to each and every one of us, but as I read this story, it absolutely blows me away. You know, I, I, every time I read it, I can't help but get that wow feeling. And I, I wish that everyone could get that wow feeling every time we study the Word of God, which I hope and pray every one of y'all do on a daily basis. I don't see too many heads shaking, but boy, are we going to get preached to now. No, I'm just kidding, but you need to. You need to have a time where you study God's Word. But anyway, I'm getting off of my subject. I'm reminded of a television show that was on CBS that aired from 1988 through, uh, I mean 1988 through 1998. And some of y'all might remember this sitcom that was called, uh, uh, had uh, Candace Bergen in it that was called Murphy Brown. And it's funny how something happens in a TV show that sticks in your mind for all these years. But, but, but this did in my mind. And, and see, this just, I need to put a footnote in here and to tell you that you've got to be careful what you tell the preacher because years down the road it might pop up in a sermon. So anyway, I, I remember this. I, I used to watch Murphy Brown. But anyway, in this one particular episode, for some reason, Murphy Brown asked the staff about their thoughts or about their feelings about God. And there were different responses from different characters. One, one individual was agnostic uh, about God. One was a Baptist and so on. But, but here's the thing. There was one character in the show named Jim. And his response is what stands out. He said that he was Presbyterian and that he went to church every Sunday with his wife. He said something on the order of this. I haven't had any experience of God. I go because it is obvious to me that the people who attend are experiencing God and I am hoping that one day I will too. I wonder how many real-life gyms there are that are sitting in pews in churches still waiting, waiting for that God experience. Well, in this text that we just read, we see some guys experience God. One of the most important, yet one of the least understood parts of the gospel. You know, this particular text, to me, it encapsulates the essence of Christ's ministry on earth. You know, it, the, trans, the transfiguration of Jesus is a pivotal moment. Uh, and, and the setting on the mountain is, is, 
is presented as a place where human nature meets God. You know, the meeting place that, that pitted temporary and eternal with Jesus himself being the connecting point of everything that's going on, acting as a bridge, if you will, between heaven and earth. So now, as we start looking at this story, this text, on this particular day, we see that it just seems like an ordinary day, you know. But it must have been a very critical event for us to understand because it is recorded in Matthew as well as in Mark as well as in Luke. They all write, all three of those gospel writers write about this little text that we're talking about today. But we see that Jesus took three, three of his disciples, his closest friends, Peter, James, and John, if you remember, uh, you know, they went high on a mountain, and they were the inner circle, the, the leadership, if you will, among the disciples. Nothing unusual. You know, Jesus often got away by himself, away from the crowds, to spend time by himself, to pray, to rest. But this time, he took his three friends with him. Nothing ordinary about that. But from here on, ordinary ends. You notice in our text that no sooner than they get there, that Jesus is suddenly transfigured. What? You see, there's that wow moment. Now you think about this. You know what transfigured is? Transfigured literally means to change shape or to change form. And this is what happened right before their very eyes. Jesus' appearance changed right then, right there before their very eyes. It says his face shone like the sun. It says that his clothes became white as light. You know, if you look at this same story in the Gospel of Mark, in Mark 9, 3, it says he glowed. This is what it says. And his raiment, or his clothes, became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller, or launderer, on earth can white them, or whiten them. Not only out of the ordinary, but absolutely out of this world. Let me tell you, Clorox couldn't get his clothes this white. OxyClean could not get his clothes this white. You know, Walmart bargain brand bleach couldn't get his clothes this white. If that does not excite you spiritually, something is wrong with you. Why do I say that? There is something exciting about a mountaintop experience. My question to you is, have you ever had a mountaintop experience in your life? Amen. I'm glad somebody said amen because they're just, everybody kind of sitting there just kind of sold up. You know, it's all right to say amen. I hope you've had one because what I'm talking about is when God blesses you in a powerful way. When, when you pray and God comes through for you in a very powerful way. Or whenever you have been blessed 
uh, monetarily and haven't even know it was coming or didn't see it coming. You know, when God just blesses you over and over and over again, or when God turns your health around uh, in spite of what the doctor says. This is what Luke says about it. Luke 6.38 says, Give, and, that sh and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. If you have never had a mountaintop experience, you have, you know, if, if you've been through one, if you have gone through one, you have the tendency that you want to stay right there, that you want to park right there and stay on that mountaintop. That's what we want to do. Because why? On the mountaintop, we encounter God. In the valley, we encounter, we encounter with dynamic spirits. On the mountaintop, we encounter our faith heritage. In the valley, we encounter those that consider uh, questions of faith as occasions for battle. On the mountaintop, you can hear God's calming voice. In the valley, all you hear is argument. On the mountaintop, disciples are in the mood for worship. In the valley, the disciples are spoiling for a fight. On the mountain, the glory of God is revealed. In the valley, the power of sin and unbelief is revealed. Can I tell you that your mountaintop experience is like dessert? If that is the extent of your spiritual diet, you will be poorly fed. Why do I say that? Because our faith will become unhealthy. It will not be much more than just a proverbial rabbit's foot. You know, something that protects us from, from problems instead of divine cures for sickness, instead of divine cures for financial worries, instead of, of divine cures for the anxiety of life. There is glory on the mountaintop. So as we're about to find out in this text, just because you are experiencing God's blessings, you can't park here. So, how do we draw that conclusion? Here we see Jesus take Peter, James, and John. And he's transfigured. If that's not strange enough, the text goes on to say that something else happens. You know, Jesus is transfigured, and if that is not out of the ordinary enough... The text tells us that two of faith's most honored heroes suddenly appear by Jesus' side. The Bible says that Moses was there, the great lawgiver. Elijah was there, the prophet par excellence. So we have the law and we have the prophets. Now I want you to think about this. And they're paying respect to Jesus and whom both are brought together. Here we have two old prophet, Old Testament prophets, Moses and Elijah, appeared on the mountain, and they are having a conversation with Jesus. The two prophets stand out 
in the prophetic tradition, if you will. Moses as the great lawgiver. Elijah had the ability to convince sinful Israel that they needed to turn back to God. You know, by this time, Moses had been dead for 900 years. Elijah, you remember Elijah, if I'm not mistaken, he was the one that didn't die. He's the one that was carried up to heaven in the whirlwind. And that had happened like 1,500 years prior. And here they are, standing there with Jesus, conversing with him. Just like nothing ever happened. You know, even Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, foretold in the closing verses of the Old Testament about this. Moses, moreover, is also known as a representative of the law, while Elijah is the representative of the prophets. And it was significant that these two men should appear on the mount, for they were virtually related to Jesus' mission to this world who came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Let me show you this in Matthew 5, 17. It says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am, come to I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. That's Matthew 5, 17. Here is the lawgiver and the chief prophet standing on the mountain with Jesus. Thus Moses and Elijah appeared as Jesus' witness, substantiating his deity, his mission, his teachings, his good works, his sacrifice, his suffering, his death, his resurrection, his victory over death and hell and the grave, his millennial reigns. And for all of these things, the prophet wrote, but you know what fascinates me most about this? I want you to think about this. Now I've kind of given you the history about these guys and how long they've been gone. Now here, all of a sudden, they appear standing there talking to Jesus and the disciples knew exactly who they were. Have you ever thought about that? Now, now, Gerald, tell me, somebody died 900 years ago. They walk up, start talking to you. You're going to recognize them? Probably not. That's going to be a stretch. But they did. You know, Peter was given the divine revelation through the Holy Spirit as to who these two visitors, which were now communicating with Jesus, were. It was the gospel writer Luke that gives us the content of the conversation. You find this in Luke 9.31. He says they spoke of his departure, his being Jesus' departure, which was about to be accomplished at Jerusalem. What an experience this must have been for these guys. You know, these three disciples to be included in this scene that was now unfolding on this mountaintop. Jesus is transfigured and after these two patriarchs appear on the mountain, they begin conversing with Jesus. This is both literally and figuratively a mountaintop experience for these guys. No wonder, no wonder the Bible tells us 
that when they heard the voice of God, they just kind of fell face down in the dirt. No wonder that they were terrified. Of course, a little terror never stopped old Peter from speaking out. He always had something to say about everything, kind of like me. But look what it says for, for lack of any ideas. He suggests, hey, Jesus, let, let's put up three tents. The King James Bible said tabernacle, but it was tents. You know, it said, we'll put one up for you. We'll put up one for Moses. And we'll put up one for Elijah. What is Peter actually saying here? What are we talking about today? What is he saying? Well, first the scripture lets us know Peter was not sure what he was saying. You know, I'm sure that I would be at somewhat a loss for words if I experienced what Peter saw. But what Peter seems to say is, this is great. Let's stay here. Let's stay here. Let's never leave. You see, up on that mountain, these disciples had been giving nothing less than a glimpse into the future. They saw past the suffering of Jesus. They saw past the death of Jesus, which the, ma the Master had predicted just a few days before. They saw past their own doubts. They saw past their own fears. For one brief shining moment God had cracked the door of the end of time and they had seen how history would be worked out not only for themselves but for the whole world and they they would never be the same again and Peter suggests what let's camp here let's stay here let's never leave this is good Peter says, what a wonderful thing this is. Let's stay here. We can have our own mountain. We can have our own temple. How about a fresh start right here, Jesus, on our own terms, on our own mountain. Don't have to worry about paying taxes. Don't have to worry about paying rent or mortgage. Don't have to worry about going to work every day and earning a living. Don't have to worry about where the next dog is coming from. Hey, Jesus, we don't even have to worry about Calvary. Let's just park here and stay right here. But, and you knew that was coming, the only answer is an interpretation. A big enough deal so far, but now what does the text say? It says that a cloud overshadows the mountain. The damp air closes in and all the world slips into grayness. And then the voice of God echoes around them saying, this is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Glowing face and clothes. Visits from famous figures of the past. Hovering clouds and heavenly voices. Spectacular indeed. Just when the disciples make the decision to camp out, to park, 
and to stay on the mountain, God's presence and voice resounds and tells them in essence, you can't park here. Think about this, folks. Kingdom work is not found on the mountaintop. It's found in the valley. Kingdom work is not found in the spiritual hall of worship, but in the valley. Kingdom work is not found within the four walls of this church, but in the valley. Most of the time, most of the time it is more comfortable for us to just stand still. But, standing still is not what God wants us to do. Standing still is not God's will. As Christians, we are to live our lives as counter to the values of the world around us. And because of that, we push against the current of the world on a daily basis. Every day, we face those challenges. You see, if we stand still, it will not be long until we're swept back. You either are moving forward or you are moving backwards. One of the other. Standing still is not God's will. Standing still is not what God wants to say. Peter wanted to do exactly that. He wanted to stay on the mountaintop. But God responds, you can't park here. Like, the, like, like folks on, uh, some folks on Sunday morning, they go to church. Or Sunday evening, they go to church. You know, a great worship service, a great church service, and they think, I want to stay here. But my question to you today is, but what about tomorrow? You see, you'll be back out there in the world struggling with those day-to-day -day issues. You'll be dealing with the pressures and the problems and the anxiety that seems to fill our lives in this present world. When tomorrow comes, will you remember what you heard today? Will you carry God's Word with you? Will you put God's Word in in place and use it and let it work in your daily life. I hope you will, but it's not easy. Why? Because our immediate problems and concerns have a way of crowding God's Word out of our minds. We get so wrapped up in the earthly home of ours that we tend to forget about our heavenly home. Our ultimate goal is heaven and how to get there and what we're supposed to be doing on the way there as Christians and knowing what we know, can you keep the good news to yourself? I hope not. Can you be a child of God on Sunday and be a child of the world the rest of the week? Is it possible to sit on your hands and conduct your life if none of this stuff ever happened? Not naturally. You're going to want to tell others. You're going to want to share the good news. 
you'll find yourself agreeing with the Jerusalem apostles that said in Acts 4, 19 and 20, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. In other words, you are going to want to apply God's Word in every part of your life, your work, your school, your family life, your leisure time, whatever scenario you find yourself in. In other words, what I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen, you can't park here. Maybe for a little while you get to hang around, but you can't park here. There's too much work to be done in this old world we live in. There's too much work to be done in the communities that we're a part of. We can't stay on that mountaintop all the time. Instead, we must use our experiences as a spiritual equipping us for evangelism, rescuing lost sheep from hell and, from, and leading them to Jesus Christ. We must return to the marketplace of life. We must go into the highway and the hedges and compel people to come just like Jesus Himself. We, we must seek and save the lost. That is our job. You can't park here. You need to be moving. You need to be trying to do something. Don't be telling yourself, I can't. Be telling yourself that you can. So let me bring this to a close this evening. We're going to want to adhere to the instruction we heard out of God's mouth on that mountaintop. This is my beloved son. Hear him. How do you do that? Keep listening to the voice of the Savior. He hasn't lost his voice. He doesn't have laryngitis. Keep learning from His Word. You see, the Bible will be even a greater power in your life than if you were yourself had been physically present on that Mount of Transfiguration. That's what Peter said. Yeah, he said, we saw the glory with our own eyes. And, and then what did he say? He said, it is good for us to be here. It is good for us to be in this church this Sunday afternoon. But there's one problem. You can't park here. That's not the problem in most churches. Most churches, as soon as the preacher's done, everybody hits the door. But you can't park here. We can't be satisfied just with our Sunday church experience. You can't park there. You can't have the benediction and do nothing but return again next Sunday. You can't park there either. The Lord proclaimed out of the, out of the cloud, this is my son, hear him. Let us hear what the Lord has told us. What He has commissioned us to do. Let's make sure that we're about our Father's business.
doing what God wants to do. Telling everyone that we encounter about the good news of the gospel. Let's get busy. Why? Because you can't part here. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much for the word that we've heard today. Your word proclaimed, Father. Father, give us the strength, the courage to get busy about doing your business. Father, it's so easy to get wrapped up into all the worries and anxieties of this life. Father, just help us move past that. Help us cast our burdens on you. Just like that song we sang a while ago, what a friend we have in Jesus. So much things, so many things that we keep all tangled up inside of us instead of just letting you have control. Father, just strengthen us and help us carry on. Forgive us where we fell, Father. Forgive us of our sin. Father, we just ask that you go with us, that you guide and direct our lives, that you bring us back at the next appointed hour. Father, a lot going on in this whole world that needs your healing touch. And we just pray that your spirit will move in a special way, Father, to alleviate all of this anxiety that's going on, all the hatred, Father, all the bad things that we see happening. Father, we see this COVID virus rearing its ugly head again. But we just ask for your protection. A lot of people suffering because of it, Father. We just lift up all those folks, the doctors, the nurses, EMT people, all the folks that are on the front line trying to make a difference. Trying to do good while there is a chance to do good. Father, all the folks on our prayer list, we just lift up to you. We ask that their need be met. Father, we ask that you be with our government leaders, Father, that they'll just make wise decisions. Father, help them to rely on you and not their own wisdom. And Father, we just ask that you bless us with some rain, Father. It's getting hot and dry. And we need it desperately, Father, and only you can provide. So, Father, just go with us from this place now. Watch over us and care for us. In your son's name we pray. Amen.